Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, the writer of Kadoja, Three Protectors, and Animals. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens and the upcoming, upcoming project, Paradise Hills. Yeah, man. And you, you're all those things. Yeah. I was uh, upcoming and, and, and upcunning. So it's a cunning project. Yeah, I decided to not do the upcoming with animals, even though it is, in fact, upcoming. But uh, hey, whatever. I'm still the writer for it. Like, it's that true. didn't change. I'm I, the, Me being a writer for it is not upcoming. It already happened. Uh, so what, what are you drinking, man? Okay, so today I got a red ale, which is not my normal thing, but um, I don't... It's weird. It, it's like, I'm not known for liking red ales, but I don't dislike red ales. So I saw this, I believe this was at a Trader Joe's. It is a Lincoln Beer Company. It's out in Burbank, California, and it is Rail Splitter. It is a nice low AB of a 5.5, and it is a one pint. Hmm. So, okay, so you're, like, you're actually known, like, this is part of your rep. Like, there goes Scott Loss down the street. He's kind of ambivalent on red ales. Yeah, you haven't heard? No, I haven't. I haven't. I mean, I've been, <laughs> I actually we've, thought we've you... been doing a, we've been doing fucking 130 episodes and like, that's, that's the lead on like your tombstone, right? Like uh, it was I, I thought you knew that. Red Ales. Oh no, it was a, you said that about stouts. You're just like, Oh, I thought you weren't a stout guy, but I, I yeah, thought you had made the yeah. comment about the reds as well, but no, I, I don't okay. have reds very often. Um, and they're okay. definitely not my go-to when I see the menu. It's just like, I don't know. I think they're maybe right before stouts, but it also depends what kind of stouts up there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So this actually might be behind yeah. stouts that I, now that I say that. Well, that's a pretty good segue into this because I think this might be a stout you like. This is one of my favorites, which tips what the rating is going to be. This is Double Stack by Great Notion. I feel like I drank this on the on an episode before, which like is quite can. possible. Yeah, yeah. This was a can. Um, this was a beer that um, the homie Martin Vavra brought down for me like a year ago. And he brought me like three or four, and I enjoyed those probably on the podcast. And then um, I was happy that Tavor had this thing. And this was one of the ones, I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but it was a wait list on Tavor by the time I found out about it. But damn it, if I didn't wake up one day and I had four of them oh, that, yeah. uh, that I was on the wait list but got them. So I'm working my way through those. It is an Imperial Breakfast Stout. That is an Imperial Stout with coffee, maple syrup, natural flavor, and caramel color. It is 11%. Oh, 16.9 wow. ounces at 11%. Scott, the Sixers just lost by like 93. So I think I deserve it. Um, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a, a, a fun slash horrifying note to my future self. Because when this airs, man, I don't know. The season, the series might be over either way. The Sixers may have lost all four in a row after winning the first one. I don't know. Right now it's 1-1. And the Sixers just got, I mean, fucking smoked in game two. Yeesh. So that was good. I mean, when you lose by that many, you can sort of mentally check out and get on to other things, which is what I did. You know, there's no there's no four-bounce Kawhi jumper this time, buddy. We lost by 30. <laughs> I, so. I was shocked about, wow, 30. Um, I was shocked that you were still watching it. Usually when my team's getting waxed that bad, and it's already in the fourth. I'm like, okay, I'm done. They're not coming back from this. So, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And that was, man, you guys don't get the visual element of this. But, man, Keith just took a hearty chug of that stout. So that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a 30 point loss kind of chug. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I was like, <laughs> that's, that kind of chug is what happens when your team is losing by 30. It kind of brings, fucking got killed. Reminds yeah. me of a note uh, or a part of our conversation that we had at, um, 
uh, what the hell did we just do? What was that show? Amazing Las Vegas. Amazing Las yeah. Vegas, where um, day one was kind of wonky. And we started drinking at 11 because, hey, this isn't really a great day, so let's start drinking. And then the next day, we were having a great day. And we're like, hey, let's start drinking by 11 because it's such a great day. So yeah, Exactly. Uh, hey, exactly. no matter what time it is, it's beer time. Alcohol's recession-proof, baby. <laughs> <laughs> there for, it's there There's for you at your best, the and it's there for you at your worst. Yeah. There's your quote for yeah. the episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So uh, so let's get into it. We, we have a jam-packed goddamn episode. So let's set it off with the first thing that you did this week. Yeah, so I would say the trading card. So, okay, so with the Kickstarter, we hit a bunch of stretch goals for Second Shift 13, and um, one of them was a trading card. And so I was like, you know what? I want to have some cool original art for this trading card. I don't want to just repurposed art. So I'm working on a couple of things. There's a couple of characters to choose from, like the two main characters of this issue. Um, I was like, okay, which one am I going to do? But I think I'm going to give the nod to um, Sarah or Spree. And uh, it only makes sense that the first trading card that we do is of one of the team members. So yeah, she's mm-hmm. she's the one I'm working on. I am I, I'm actually working on a Kane's card too at the same time because I think I found cool poses for each one. And I was just like, oh okay, well whatever, you know. It's like it's always good to have uh, the sketch ready for that second card whenever the next issue comes out. Uh, but yeah, that was the first thing I'm doing because it's one of the most time sensitive things that I have on my plate. Um, I want to get everything done for this Kickstarter as soon as possible and have it shipped out. But, um, you know, having the book ready was one thing, but unlocking these stretch goals, it led me to other things that I need to do that were not done yet. So um, one is this trading card, and then two is creating a bookmark, um, which I'm going to send to the metal printers and then try to get that back out as fast as possible. So um, unfortunately, I think I'll have the books and everything else before I have these metal trading cards. So that's going to be the thing that I'm waiting on. And, you know, that's what happens when you kind of work through more than one one uh, company when you're doing these stretch goals. So, you know, in the last, I think, three or four Kickstarters, I've had the privilege of basically ordering everything everything through one, one uh, company. And this is one where, okay, I have two companies involved, so the wait time is going to vary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, props to you. You're going to get that out probably before I get Symphony of Madness out because I'm struggling. I'm struggling with something, but and maybe we can make that a quick third thing. Well, you might as well just do it right now, right? It's a zero thing. So I'm having a hard time writing the dialogue for our special our special thing in the making comics thing. So I'm probably just going to do something and be done with it. You know what I mean? Because, you know, in a little inside baseball that I had kind of given Scott a more elaborate panel than a design as a sketch than what he wanted to do. And I don't blame him because I, I gave him a lot of shit to draw. And he's like, well, I just wanted to draw this. So so you <laughs> did. And now it's my job to kind of Marvel method it. The problem is the original dialogue and the gags that I had relied on an interplay between characters. And this does not have interplay. So everything will have to be thought bubbles. Um, and I guess, like, I sort of don't have a choice. I mean, the only other choice would be I could, like, cut and paste your art and create other panels up top, but I kind of don't want to do that. So odds are 
simply opening the spread and seeing the gag will be good enough for people. Um, so I'll just figure out how to make it work with there with just a little bit of balloons. Cause again, it, it serves more as a spread as opposed to a strip. You know, if there's multiple characters, you can sort of use the dialogue to create a flow, even though there's only one panel, there's a, a flow of dialogue or thought bubbles or something like that. When it's only two characters, everything's going to end up having that thought bubble feel to it as opposed to a whole lot of interplay, right? So, um, so anyway, yeah, I've been I stuck on that. I think you can get some dialogue I... in there. It's, um, it's an action scene, so they could be talking yeah. shit to each other. There's some things That's where true. stuff can get stuck and whatever. Uh, there's some Yeah, well, I, yeah, but I mean, you, I think, you did you read the gags that I had? I think you read my dialogue, right? I did. It was, yeah. it was a lot. Don't spoil it. It was, yeah. it was a lot. So I was just like, yeah. dude... I, I I am I have so much to draw. I was like, let me just draw yeah. you something cool. And uh, you yeah. know, I trust in you. Like you're a good writer. You'll figure it out. There'll be something I will, you could. But say, I've been so. having a really fucking hard time with it. I've, you know, and and sometimes you get so stuck in the thing that you want to write. Yeah. That that you um you you don't you know kind of free yourself. I mean, in fairness too, what the main reason um that that I haven't had a clear headspace to do it goes right into my first thing, which is the animals Kickstarter, which by the time this airs, it's over, but we still are about halfway through, um, as we record this. And so it's been, you know, it's been the daily thing of, you know, spreading the word individually to people. And I have also been doing some interviews, uh, these last couple days. So I was a guest on Blake's buzz and I was also a guest on, um, the fortress of comic news, which was awesome. So, you know, it, that was great. It was great going on both of them. Um, but they take time and you have to, you know, be a good guest and do all that prep work. And so I've already sort of kicked writing to the side um, these last, you know, these last week or so. And I'm probably like we talked about last week. It's just easier for me to push that to the side and not even pretend, not even have it in the corner. Like, why aren't you working on me today? It's easier. Just I'll get back to you a week from today. Um, so that's what I, that's what I've been doing. It's been a, a fair amount of work, a good amount of work. But uh, hey, if, if you're designing a Kickstarter well and you're trying to do all these things through the Kickstarter that are spreading the word, you know, interviews are hard to beat. You know, uh, uh, historically, I think even for the biggest creators out there, interviewing on people's podcasts, on people's whatever, like it may or may not move the needle a lot in terms of backers, but you know, you got to do it. I mean, it's better moving the needle a little than not moving it at all. And um, it's it's better to keep on doing things because this has a longitudinal effect, right? Like you can, I can guest on on a video chat right now or, you know, a, a YouTube video today. Somebody might not find that for a year and then maybe that's when they get into the book. So that's the great part about all these interviews, just sort of being evergreen and always around. Yeah, very true. Yeah. It, and, and even if it is just one person that backs your project, that's one more person than you had before. So yeah, you took some time out exactly. of your day, you took the hour, hour and a half or whatever to do the the show. But, um, you know, you got one person and, and that's all part yeah. of the hustle. That's all that matters is if you can reach someone, you know, during the Kickstarter, that's great. And to your point, uh, these are evergreen. So if they find it and mm -hmm. they can look you up and go, oh, hey, that, that book's been out a while. I wonder how many issue he has. And then, yeah. oh, hey, he's running to Kickstarter again. So boom. Yeah, I mean, I've done it. And that's the thing, right? It's only, it may only be one backer dot, dot, dot for now because it's the book's still going to be there. Somebody can run into it. I have done this myself. I've come across people doing an interview or something like that. I'm like, that's a pretty cool book. 
the Kickstarter's been over for eight months, but let me hit them up and see if they have extra copies. You know, if, if they're a creator worth their salt, they probably do, unless they got, you know, the optioned hot fucking commodity of the of the world and it's all sold out you know but uh but odds are you know creators are going to have a couple extra copies if you're not uh too too bad in terms of your timing so anyway so yeah that that was my big first thing man um a lot a lot of work but you know it's it's work that's worth it it's time that's worth it because those type of things they stay around forever and um and that's every little bit helps man you know Overnight successes are very, very rare. Most people are the exact opposite of overnight successes. They're a 10-year success or they're a, you know, they sound like an overnight success, but it was 14 years in the making. Yep. No, definitely. It's all about the grind, man. We're we're doing it every show, every comic, every Kickstarter that we do. It's just all part of the grind. And, you know, um, we're going to have those copies to sell at shows or sell on our site. So when people do eventually find us on those podcast or those youtube shows you know uh, we'll have those books ready for them exactly every day i'm hustling every, every day, day i'm hustling yeah. mm, eh, uh, uh. all right what's your uh, what's your second thing man uh my second thing is i've actually been in contact with a couple of uh variant cover artists so i'm trying to line up all my variants um way sooner than i did with this last one so as you guys know it's very important to have these covers ready by the time you launch your Kickstarter, it's it's not something you want to have afterwards, you know, because it will affect your backing. And um, so I'm hustling now. You know, I have something lined up. I actually have a guy working on Wanders 4. So there's going to be a variant there. And I already actually have um, two other variants lined up. So I'm going to have a total of four covers for issue four. And then second shift, there's one, there's a giant storyline coming up on issue... Let's see, 15 or 16, I'm trying to remember. So 15 or 16 is the start of a very big storyline. And uh, I'm going to have a variant cover lined up for that. And it's going to be a couple of years before that book's out. But it's an epic cover and it's an epic storyline. So I have an artist who does epic work. And so that shit will be front and center. It will be ready. And, um, you know, it's something that... I can possibly use, uh, I don't know, like advertisement wise, like it's just such a good looking cover. Like it's, well, the artist, let me, I'm getting ahead of, ahead of my skis here. Um, the artist is so amazing and I have another piece by him and it feels like, like a saga. So I'm Mm -hmm. going to basically kind of ask for the same style of cover for, for the second shift. And he did one for Wanderers. And it's so badass. I was like, okay, I have to get a couple more pieces from him. And this cover specifically is one of those that's just like, okay, this is really going to bring a um, a bigger feeling to the storyline. And that's exactly what I want for it. Hell yeah, man. That's great. I mean, yeah, you're you're definitely working way ahead and thinking way ahead. That's that's great. That's great. Um, it's def- definitely better than than what I do, which is I sort of you know two weeks before the Kickstarter, like ah, I could use a second cover. Let's get <laughs> somebody up. Yeah, it, it's rough, man. Like, and that's what happened with. I mean, I guess this cover kind of fell in my lap. The one from Ryan Benjamin, and the opportunity to get him to do a cover on it was just like, okay, I'm gonna hold the Kickstarter back until you're ready because mm-hmm. I really want this out as soon as possible. And um, 
you know, it was, it was my choice to just wait and see when I could get it from him. And I got it from him, you know, relatively quickly, quickly compared to some of the uh, other variant covers I've done. So it was just like, Hey man, no complaints. And it was my choice. But at the same time, I just have to think ahead, head more, you know, and if something like an opportunity yeah. like this happens again, and it's like close to the Kickstarter release, then it's just like, okay, you really need to think, is having the cover for this issue as important as launching it when on the date that you want to launch it? Like what is more mm -hmm. important and you kind of weigh the pros and cons about it and then, then move forward from there. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And I, I should, I should give myself a little bit more credit because for Kadoja, I already have the alternate covers for symphony of madness three and four. They're, they're all by Carlo Romero. I, I, I loved working with Carlo so much. He's a great dude to work with. And yeah, I've just I've just kept him going in advance. Um, and then assuming we keep doing Making Comics tiers for the next uh, two episodes or next two issues, then we'll have the Making Comics variant, you know, the, the Kickstarter exclusive and of course the uh, the other one. And then I'm doing the main ones. So yep, I have totally fucking yep. covers yet. But, I will have know, covers from good. for you for every single one of those issues for sure. Yeah, man. Do you have an idea for number three? Just out of curiosity. Um, I have a couple. So okay, that's I'm fine. going to I'm, sure you... I'm going to bat yeah. them around, and then uh, I'll let you know for sure. I'll run them by yeah. you, and I'll I'll see which one you prefer. Um, I'll yeah. narrow it down, and then uh, we'll go from there for sure. Hell yeah, man! All good, all good. I was just curious. All right, so my second thing, and this is my my last thing for the week. I I got notes for the third. So we're switching to novel for a second here. I got notes for my workshop this week and it was my third workshop of the second novel so i say it's a third workshop and that's important because this third section of the novel we're going sequentially from the beginning is where the first act turning point is i had gotten notes before during the first submission and the second submission where the other workshoppers were saying this feels like it's slow and it's kind of going nowhere like is this the novel? Is this what's happening? Like, whatever this is, whatever this is building to, I hope it happens soon. That's what they said. And when they gave me that note during the second workshop, I said, so these are great notes. However, I'm going to ask you again after you read the third submission so that you can see these first 55, 60 pages in totality. And then we can revisit what you were saying. And so this was their chance to do that. And I'm happy to say that once they saw kind of like the grand, it's not much of a grand narrative, it's 55, 60 fucking pages. But once they saw that, they understood why I was doing what I was doing, which was really cool, you know, because I was concerned because, you know, the act one turning point, again, act one is where you're just introducing everybody to the characters, the world, the, the primary conflicts, etc. And then you end act one with the thing that changes the trajectory of the protagonist, something important, something big, whatever the fuck it is. Right. And so, uh, I was, I did that and I got the notes on it and, uh, and I was happy to say that it was, it was pretty good. You know, like I, I did get notes on this submission, but, um, I think I was expecting bigger notes. I was expecting like, this doesn't work. That doesn't work. But what I ended up getting were a lot of smaller notes. I'm like, you should tweak this. You should do that. You should do that. But nothing broad, which made me really happy. Um, and I, I don't know if there's, a writing lesson there other than trust your vision at least like trust your vision is the kind of thing you can say that someone can co-opt and turn into a fucking lunatic 
You know, like you, you don't want that, right? You want to trust your vision, okay? And you want to be patient with your vision and you want other people to be patient with your vision. But if, if they had come back on this workshop and been like, now nah, you got some serious problems in act one that you're going to need to fix to build to that, I'd taken the notes, you know, or at least I would have evaluated them thoroughly. So the fact that I trusted my vision and it worked out because I had a nice kind of larger scale plan for these first 60 pages, that's great. So you should trust your vision, especially if if you are in a workshop peer group, which, hey, Andy Belanger said it, you know, like we've talked about it, this idea of like, I think he did, right? He was talking about peer groups a little bit. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So peer groups are important. Getting people to feedback your shit is important. Getting people to workshop your stuff is important. So it's important to trust those groups while also trusting your your inner compass. And if it works out well, then you end up getting something along these lines, right? You're like, yep, my vision was right. Now I can make these tweaks, make these edits, and then proceed with the rest of the novel. So yes, trust your vision. But just know that if you're like your vision might be shit, it might be and uh, or or it might be poorly executed. And that's the thing that you're going to have to kind of think through. So I like this as a note to everybody who's building something a bit more grand. Since you use the word epic, let's go with epic. People that are trying to do something that's beyond the scope of, say, one comic issue, which is very common, right? Like. Very, very few comics these days um, have a beginning, middle, and end that just last one issue. Everything is very arc-driven. Four issues, five issues, etc. So these these stopping points, you know, you, you need to make every single installment of your story interesting while you're building to a larger point. Um, so anyway, that, that's all I wanted to talk about, that I think it's it's good, and it was great. I felt good that by the time we got through the third submission, it was like, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pe- people are, are feeling the larger arc. I definitely, you know, had some strikeouts there, but the grand thing that I was drawing was was a was a hit, which is good. Yeah, that's that's part of the trusting your vision that works. So, like you said, they gave you or like, hey, this is kind of we don't know where this is going. It's kind of just there, and you're like, well, wait for the third part, you know. Mm-hmm. And if they came back and said. Yeah, still not working. Then that's when you have yeah. the work to do, and that's when you can exactly. go like, okay, there. My vision needs a little tweaking. Um, yeah, but don't be one of those people that, um, you know, like you get back the notes and you just go, well, you just don't understand what I'm doing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's just like, well, are 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 the notes helpful? Are some of the notes helpful? Are all of the notes helpful? Um, but you also have to be susceptible to that. You know, and yeah. that's that's was- something that everyone needs to work on. Uh, you know, you just have to be self-aware, you know, don't, don't yeah. think your shit don't stink basically. Yeah. Well, I, I think you, you know, you said something that sparked an interesting thing where you said, you just don't understand where I'm going. And something I love about my novel mentor is that when people tried that shit on him, he shut it down so fast. And his response was, no, you're not making it clear enough on the page. So if, if people don't understand where you're going, that is on you. It is not on them. You know, like, like these are the, the kind of people, first of all, the kind of people that are probably workshopping your shit are going to be a higher order of writers and creators than your general reader, right? Like that's, that's pretty, 
pretty standard, right? Like people that are trying to write books are going to look at them on a different level than people that just enjoy reading them. I know I just like as someone who enjoys watching television or enjoys watching, you know, movies or enjoys watching my team get its balls stomped by 30. Wait a minute. I don't enjoy that at all, you know, but but I think, you know, you can't help but think about them critically a little bit in terms of story when I watch movies and TV, but like, I don't know the fucking craft. I don't know how to make a movie or make a TV show. Um, and, and so for me, it's going to be more about pure enjoyment. And a lot of people that are reading your comic, it's about pure enjoyment and that's good, you know? So yeah, if, if just remember, it does come back to you. If, if you think that people don't understand your vision, the question back on you is, are you making that clear on the page? Is it clear from your storytelling? Is it clear from your art? Is it clear from the words? Is it clear from everything? Because our odds are it's not if people are giving you those kind of notes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and like you said, it's it, depending on what your craft is. If you are a writer, you're going to be looking at it from a different angle. And 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 I actually think you know watching movies with you. Um, I think you do understand them, like, cause you start to dissect them in a different type of way, you know, like, like what Spider-Man, let's take Spider-Man three, for instance, like you didn't like mm-hmm. Spider-Man three because you were breaking it down as a writer. You're like, look, this, yeah. this, this, and that. And I'm like, yeah, but that's because you're a writer and you're seeing all these yeah. errors where, uh, me and your family are like, we loved it. It was great because yeah, we're looking, totally. we're looking at it on the surface of what it is yeah. and it's, oh, a, yeah. it's a good fucking time. And so, yeah. And I, you know, I do the same thing with art. I read a comic book, but I'm dissecting it at the same time or, or I'm watching a cartoon. I'm dissecting the animation and just seeing how they do things. And it's just like mm-hmm. when it's part of your craft, um, at a certain point, you have no choice but to dissect it, whether you want mm-hmm. to or not. You know, like I think the only time when you stop doing it is when it's so masterfully done, you're just enjoying it. You know, if the story is just so engulfing, then it completely swallows you whole. And then that whole, um, you know, editorial side of your brain just goes away and you're just taking it in. But I think that's so few and far between really. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, all right. So, Hey, did you have anything else this week or should we get to uh, our little bonus beats? All right. So let's get to some bonus beats. Yeah. Um, what we're going to do is we had a few interesting, um, listener emails, I guess, and we wanted to go ahead and get to those. So I'm going to set this off with one. Um, and I think we have two. So before we get to our main topic, we're going to talk these through a little bit. So the first one is from friend of the podcast, uh, Chance Edgerly. Um, Hey guys, not that I want to keep selfishly having you answer my questions, but I thought of a good topic. But I thought a good topic would be going over submissions to an agent or publisher. I know Keith has discussed this somewhat from a novel standpoint, but thought it might make an interesting topic from the comic point of view. Since what we discussed last led me to look at submitting to some publishers, I'd love all the tips you have for me. Thanks again, guys. I appreciate you and your time. So thanks, Chance, for the question. Odds are if you're asking that, then other people are asking that. So we wanted to talk a little bit about what submitting to an agent looks like. And um, and so we have directly gone back to chance on this, that like we don't think it's quite main topic worthy, but it's worth discussing. So Scott, I'll set this off, obviously, since I'm kind of part of a, a publisher and may or may not be able to speak to agents. And I'm going to be very candid about this. I don't know. 
this is going to be a little long-winded, and then you can, you know, you you can throw some dunks down on it, just like the Celtics threw some dunks down on Philly tonight after making <laughs> a lot of wide-open threes. <laughs> um, I don't know the value of an agent in the comics business. Now, that doesn't mean that agents don't have value in the comics business. It means that I simply have no insight into it. So for me, for Invader, I don't give a shit whether you have an agent or not. Is your book good? Because if your book is good, we're going to want to publish it. It's, it's that easy. You know, and I think that there are some publishers that are like us. I can't say exactly who they are um, because I, I don't want to speak for other publishers, but I believe there are other publishers somewhere around our market share level that are also just, dude, I don't give a shit. Give me a good book and we're going to want to put it out. Where agents, however, might come in is when we get into comic publishers that are bigger than Invader. And there are some, right? Like, you know, if 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 we're talking about Boom, if we're talking about Image, maybe I don't know. You know, like I I can't I don't I don't spend a lot of my time caring what other publishers do because I don't submit to those publishers. I'm I'm here for Invader, right? But I can say, I can guess, I can guess that having an agent would help get a get a foothold into some of those publishers but as a long-winded way of getting back to like exactly where i am an agent ain't gonna do shit if your book isn't good enough it's still all about the book so i am guessing that agents have value and if i had to guess you know let's 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 twist this question around keith what publishers do you think being agented matters for I would guess that Fantagraphics is the number one publisher where having an agent would help because Fantagraphics does the stupid dope shit. You know what I mean? Like they do f like avant-garde books, art books, books that are done by masters of the craft, books that are think pieces. They're going for awards and that makes them a lot like a book publisher. That makes them a lot like agents for literary fiction right in in the genres where it may not be as much about your sales as much as like your prestige and your rewards so my guess is like the fanographics of the world it might help maybe the images the dark horses and the booms might help but i'm just not sure you know like my my gut tells me that this industry is so predicated on having a name through your creations that I don't know what agents do. So it's one of those cases where I think an agent, I think by the time an agent knocks on your door, you don't need an agent to knock on your door in the comics business. And that's the difference I see. I feel like in comics, it's so based on what your output is and what your name is and what your popularity is and what things you've done before this are that I'm not sure that, that and, and maybe I'm wrong, right? When I solicit literary agents, and I still do it, I see plenty of agents that are accepting graphic novel submissions. I have no fucking idea who they're pitching to, though. Maybe it's Penguin Random House. Maybe it's like the big-time book publishers, and we're just bypassing all of comics altogether. So I do see agents accepting graphic novel submissions. 
But I'm not sure in the comics industry where that works. So I hope that helps. I mean, I hope that steers the answer into seeking an agent if you think you have a, a great piece of work and if you think that it can land at a, a, a higher up kind of publisher that's maybe a bit more third party and a bit less indie. You know, I had a agent, I hired an agent when I was doing one of my Kickstarters and I thought it was going to change my backers, my backer count, my total, everything. I thought it was going to get me where I really wanted to start going with these Kickstarters. And this was very early on. And so um, what I had paid him, um, it was 500 bucks for the month. And so I'm mm -hmm. running a Kickstarter for one month. So it's just like, okay, you know, wherever this lands, this guy's getting 500 bucks. Now, what he did for me was get me tons of interviews. He got me interviews mm -hmm. pretty much wherever, tons of podcasts and stuff like that. Um, the thing is, I don't think it moved the needle at all as far as my Kickstarter mm -hmm. goes. I think I had roughly around the same backers that I did the first one or two. Um, I think I recognized most of the names from previous Kickstarters. Mm -hmm. And um, so I guess what they did was something we talked about a little bit at the beginning of this. Well, they got me more interviews on different podcasts or different shows or YouTube shows or whatever they were. So maybe people discovered those later on and eventually mm -hmm. got me another sale or something like that. But maybe not. I'm not sure. So, But all I know yeah. is I ended that Kickstarter roughly at the same spot that I usually do. The only difference is I had to pay someone else $500 to get there. So for me specifically, I never used an agent again after that because I didn't find it to be beneficial for what I was doing at the moment. Now, who's to say later on if he, as my agent, you know, if I just kept paying him 500 bucks a month, he would keep getting me interviews at other places, and then eventually maybe that would lead to me mating, making uh, contact Man, with... Holy shit, shit, it'll lead you to mating? Yeah, if, oh if my, my agent back in the day could have led me to mating... <laughs> It would have been worth the five hundred dollars a month. My God, is that worth the five hundred dollars? Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, I will say, Scott, that sounds a little bit more like a publicist than an agent, right? Like that sounds like you hired an independent publicist, right? Yeah, he called himself an agent. So. Oh, okay, okay. So, okay, so I, I think it's fair, and maybe maybe this is helpful because you know, if if Chance asked the question, then maybe Chance is looking at agents. So, if what you're looking at is what what Scott is talking about, where someone is is acting as an agent, but it sounds like their duties uh, align a little bit more with being an independent publicist, then it's going to be on a campaign by campaign basis. If what you're looking for is more what I think of in the book's terms as a literary agent, that's someone who is going to form a partnership with you. It is it is not paid because they only make money when you make money. Mm. And so what they're going to do is they're going to take you on based on the quality of your work. Uh, and then they are going to shop you around to publishers and, and try to get you the best deal possible, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I want to, I'm going to double back before we move on to the next question here, that in the book world, so I mentioned in the comic world how I'm not sure what the benefit is. In the book world, there's a benefit because in the book world, literary agents will take on an unknown. If you write a dope fucking book, you might get an agent and they're going to take you on. You're a fucking unknown, but they're still going to take you on. And they're going to get you out there. And that's 
that was the reason for mentioning that like in comics it feels more about your body of work in comics the odds of releasing a book on boom image dark horse you know again the the top third party companies as a as an unknown the odds are low because the odds are that if you've you know for for to pay attention to them they want to see your your credits they want to see what you've done before the book industry is not like that you can be a complete fucking unknown you can be a first time author and you can be a breakout star the um the author i mentioned on a couple episodes ago that had talked to my novel class that you know ended up having a smash hit of a book and getting an agent and all that stuff complete unknown so that happens in the book world it's it's not easy but it happens far more often in the book world than the comic world. So that was kind of a long-winded, meandering answer. I hope it helps. It was a little bit fueled by Great Notions pancake stout or whatever the fuck I'm drinking. So hopefully that that hopefully it it helped you a little bit. Hey, if if you think an agent is for you because you want to start at at you know the high third-party publishers, then by all means go for it. Especially if you have an agent that's interested in your work. But I think if you are looking for an agent and they talk to you, it would be a great conversation to say like, so what are you going to do for me that I can't do already? Because these publishers will accept my shit right now. And if it's good, they're going to publish it. So what what things are you going to do above and beyond these publishers that can accept my stuff right now if it's good? Yeah. What are you what are you bringing to the table? So, yeah, uh, it's a great yeah. question. Yep, absolutely. All right, so we have a second letter, part of our mailbag here, and this is from Dan Bova. Yeah, Dan Bova. Dan Dan's hit me up a few times. Yeah. Oh, okay, right he's, on. He's dope. Yeah, man, he's a cool dude. Um, he has some pleasantries in the beginning there, which are quite funny. Uh, funny. Dear uh, Scott and Keith, your podcast is the greatest podcast ever. I gave it five stars because that was all like, oh, sorry, I'm just making up shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Keith, that by the time you read this, the Sixers will have lost by 785 points because the Celtics shot 150% from the field. That's how it goes sometimes. I get it. My condolences. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <please. laughs> all right. Sorry, so I'm going to skip over the uh, pleasantries and, and funny stuff in the beginning. Uh, anyways, you've talked a bunch about artists who probably hand off writing responsibilities to someone else. Wondering if you have thoughts on the reverse. A writer who is sort of okay at drawing, but should definitely pass the pen and ink uh, to the left-hand side. I see what you did there. Uh, I'm guilty of yeah. that. I fear slash no. I wrote a middle grade book about werewolves and illustrated it myself. The intention was to pitch it around and say drawings like these, but not as shitty. But then I got impatient and just self-pubbed itself. Uh, self-pubbed it. Uh, happy yeah. to send you copies if you have middle grade readers in your lives. Um, yeah, I'll take a copy. Uh, I will too. Yeah, yeah box like, eight eight. I mean, I'm I'm a middle grade reader. I appreciate anything at all grades. So yeah, send it to us. Send it to Scott Lost, PO Box eight eight one five five one, San Diego, California nine two one two. No, excuse me, nine two one six eight. So there you go. There you go. And your cash. Yeah. And throw a check in there. Just yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, thanks again for the kick-ass show. Love the book and music recommendations, but you guys should definitely think about rooting for the Knicks. Damn. Knicks, baby. Knicks. Can I, hold it. Can I do a silly Knicks thing? I need to do a silly Knicks thing. Do it. Okay. Scott, are you familiar with the Bing Bong video? The yes. infamous video that went, okay. 
Are you familiar that in that video, there's a guy? So the Bing Bong guy is the guy who took it away, right? Bing Bong became this Knicks rallying cry. By the way, if you don't like basketball, just like fast forward two minutes, okay? The the Bing Bong guy is the hero, but there's this guy right after it. That so this 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 was a video of ecstatic Knicks fans after they had won game one in the 2022 season against the Boston Celtics. And there's a guy who goes, yo, KD, don't you regret not coming to the Knicks? And then he starts like hopping around and like the 35 people around him are just, they're all jumping in unison and he keeps going, don't you regret not coming to the Knicks? All right, so it's this moment. I, I love it. It's actually my favorite moment in the video. And what I was thrilled about was that a week ago when the Knicks won game three against Cleveland that would, you know, go on to clinch the series. I guess some kind of camera crew was outside the garden and that guy is in the crowd and he grabs the mic again. He's, he's like, he says, I got one fucking question. And like everybody around him, like the Knicks fans are going fucking ape shit, right? It's like 34th and 7th in, you know, in fucking Manhattan. And the guy goes, yo, KD, don't you regret not coming to the Knicks? And then every Everybody, like 150 people start losing their mind. It's like, I love that that guy, like it is his thing, you know, like I love that shit. So, hey, I'm, I, I love the Knicks. And at this rate, the Sixers are going to be eliminated in like four days, at which point I will probably switch my rooting interest to the Knicks, but we'll see. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know how my future self is going to relate to that. Cause for all I know, the Knicks are playing the goddamn Sixers in the Eastern conference finals. So we will see. We will see. But yeah, props, Dan. New, uh, I took my kid to a Knicks game back in December. We saw Luca, and uh, yeah, it was it was a good time. Knicks basketball at the Garden is an absolute must for any basketball fan. How about we answer your question, though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I haven't come across too many writers who they're writers slash artists, like they're writers above being an artist, except for one person. And it's one of mine and Keith's favorite writers that's working is Jeff Lemire. Um, he has a style unto himself where it's kind of it's kind of simplistic, and um, it's just its own thing. And I remember when I first saw it, it was when I was reading uh, Sweet Tooth, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Man, this is some bizarre art. Like, like this is really weird." And then before I knew it, I was like, "I couldn't see this book drawn." in any other way like this yeah. is just this is how this book's supposed to be drawn and after a while it's just like man like i'm i'm really loving this style and so really that like for me that's the only example that i would have where the person was clearly a writer first and they dabbled in art um because in the beginning of the the very first trade um a lot of this the shots are straight on they're not complex at all and the art is relatively simple. As time goes on, he explores more and more and gets better and better. And I think he's a very competent artist um, and a very interesting artist that that I really do enjoy. So, uh, Keith, you got anyone like that comes to mind? Uh, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go a different way with this. I'm gonna go a different way with this, and I'm going to kind of be an asshole writer from an asshole writer's perspective. Okay, I believe that writers are a bit more self-aware of being a bad artist and maybe a lot more self-aware that they are not a good artist than artists are self-aware that they are good or bad writers. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. 
Okay, I mean, that's that's good because I also think that the comic industry is set up that way. This is a visual industry. So, I mean, I appreciate you saying that because for me, I think it's far easier for a writer, for a person who's stronger at writing to do a comic where they drew it and immediately they look at it or they get feedback and they're like, this art sucks or this art is subpar and I know that because I'm not stupid, right? Artists, however draw some dope shit especially artists that can draw some dope shit and then they put some writing on it and the writing like dude uh, scott i i think i've said this to you offline like i snicker like a motherfucker when i see artists that try to write and they they do this like rote nonsense you know and they and they try to like make their art seem more grand and stuff like that and it's like oh oh how good you would be with a writer (laughs) you know um and and so so the way that the feedback me- mechanisms work, work, oh God, hey, the beer, the beer done, done hit the lap, right? Have we talked about this before that I view like the buzz is like, like sitting at a NASCAR race where like, it's like a two mile track. So you sort of watch it and it's on the far end and it's on the far end and it's coming around and it's like way over there and you don't feel it. It's coming around and then it sort of makes a turn and it makes a turn. It's like coming closer and like, Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh, boom. And there it is. Right. Like it just blasts by you and your buzz. That, that was me just now. Um, and I was stammering like an idiot and there's no way I'm editing that out. There's just no fucking way. The way that the social media, especially the algorithms work, like if your art is the shit, people are going to give you so many likes. So I think that the way that the mechanism works gives artists who who like maybe subpart writing a false sense of like awesome. They're like, yeah, people like my writing. No, they don't. No, they like your art, right? And so again, this is this like I said, this is kind of like an arrogant writer-centric point of view, but I also think that the way that the system is set up is always going to favor the artist. Comics are a visual medium. Something I've said since probably episode 1 is the art gets you and the writing keeps you. We have mentioned before in previous episodes that, you know, if if the art on a comic is good, and most art on mainstream comics is good. You know, if we're talking about the top five or six publishers, then odds are the art is good. The only way you can tell if the writing's good or not is, do you still like the book after five issues, six issues, seven issues, eight issues, nine issues, whatever it is? And if you don't, then the writing's probably let you, letting you down. Because you'll 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 find yourself saying things like I'm just not feeling it as much as I did, you know, like it's not v- resonating with me the way it could, and that's how you know that the writing is not getting there. So it's a visual medium. In visual mediums, writing takes a longer time to really like roost in your brain. So, you know, to get back to Dan's question, I think. Look, I think if you're a writer and you're trying to draw and the results are subpar, then you should absolutely pawn that off to someone who can. But I also think because it's a visual medium, you're probably going to get that feedback sooner than if you're an artist that is subpar at writing and is going to get a whole ton of love and may misconstrue that to think that that means they're a good writer when they're really just a good artist. Also, you have to think about the audience. So if your audience is a younger demographic, they might might not. Wow, we're gonna. Yeah, please, are please, you drinking my beer? Please edit that one out. <laughs> 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 <All right>. No. Um, 
<laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, yeah, you know, if, if your demographic uh, skews a lot younger, you might get away with it for a lot longer. You know, you mm-hmm. can you can talk in, um, I don't know, kind of like catchphrases or, you know, just, um, what's the term? Slang? Like no. you can say like fucking no cap. I've got a dope... <laughs> thing <laughs> <laughs> no i'm sorry i'm trying to i don't even the, know fucking kids i'm trying to look for know. the term um it's like catchphrases it's um cockney rhyming slang that's mf doom by the way <laughs> what is the term for that god damn it edit this i don't thing. know keep keep stalling and Ed- i'll just keep on saying yeah shit. edit this out um <laughs> no <laughs> shit what is it Woo! 176 power rating, my friend. Yeah, you're flying high, dude. You're lucky. I got this. I got this 5.5, but I've been eating relatively clean, so oh, I God, think the 5.5 is like hitting me a lot, a lot harder than it should. <laughs> <laughs> we still have a ah, topic, you know. Clichés. <laughs> okay. When, oh. Okay. Yes. So, like, sometimes, sometimes artists that think they can write, they have a tendency to write in cliché. Yeah. You know, they just say they say shit that they've heard a thousand times on TV shows and movies. Yes. And they kind of just regurgitate it. So they feel like they're being good writers because they've heard it on TV before. But the problem is we've all heard it before, you know, and and so it's not as impactful as they think it is. It's not as good as they think it is. And that's something that I knew about myself, like going back and reading you know, the infamous issue zero of second shift that I drew and wrote myself that I gave to Ed, you know, he just um, you know, and it was just like, oh, but even I was self-aware to go, this is not good. And I understand yeah. why it was scrapped, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, but that, that's the thing is you have to be self-aware and not everyone is. And, you know, again, mm-hmm. to go back to things we've talked about definitely in the last couple of weeks is have that peer group, have a writer friend, a, a couple of writer friends read that and go, yeah, this isn't good. You need to have a writer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And again, it, this is. This is where that self comes in. You know, what What? What do we just talk about a little while ago? I barely remember, but I know that we talked about this, oh, they just don't get my vision, blah, blah, blah. Again, it's, it's, it's on you. It's on you to do that. Peer groups are important. Taking the feedback, honestly, is important. And Dan, I hope we answered your question. Again, I sort of, I sort of sidestepped the question because I just think that the way... The way that the comics world works is that it's easier to spot subpar art than it is to spot subpar writing, which takes a while. Yes. And Dan, I'm with you. Um, he did say this at the beginning. Uh, you know, I'm just going to read it. Thanks for all the entertainment and inspiration that you've given me, particularly on rainy days when I'm out walking the dog, praying he will finally take a dump so we can go back inside the freaking house. Dan, it's very important. I understand you. I understand you're a your dog pain. owner, baby. I get it. Yeah, I got, exactly. I got three of them, and these motherfuckers Dude. will not shit when I want them to shit, and I want to go inside and take a shower. So I feel well. Like yeah, it. and your dogs are all like, well, two of your dogs are hefty. Mm-hmm. My dog is not hefty, so I find myself like tugging her along when it when it's like when when the quote unquote walk we're doing is really just a whole lot of slow. Piss sniffing. That's yeah. really all it is. It's just, That's bad, It's just dude. sniffing bushes for piss, right? 
Yeah, that's, that's Bash it. for sure. He's he's the lightest of the three, and he's the one that gives me uh, no Kona gives me the worst, but he is second. You know, my my big boy. He's he's actually on top of it. He moves when I want him to. He's like yeah. sixty pounds. Bash is twenty five of pure struggle. Yeah, and it's just yeah. like get the fuck inside, dude. We go. We got to go inside. We're yeah. done. Exactly. Exactly. Like please, yeah, please stop screwing around. Like that's it. That's it. All right. So we we talked long enough there that I think that's going to go ahead and make it the main episode or the main topic of the episode. So let's get to some bullshit, dude. Um, before we get into basketball, what uh, what non-basketball bullshit do you have? You know, uh, just talking about Kickstarter so much for the last few weeks, you know, talking and even talking to you in person, you know, like while we were in Vegas, it's uh, I was like, you know what? I haven't backed any Kickstarters in probably about a month or two. And I pride myself on being you know, a pretty big Kickstarter backer. It's like, hey, I'm I'm putting my books out there. And, um, you know, you're part of the community when you're doing that. Or you want to be part of the community. You don't want to be a person that's just taking, taking, taking. And so I hopped on and I backed a few more projects. Um, one of the projects was actually one I'm super... Well, let me tell you the couple of projects that I've backed recently. Um, TMNT Remastered number eight. That was guest starring mm. Cerebus. Okay. And um, so that one is going into printing production, so I'm excited to get that one back. Another one was Death Transit uh, Tanager, and that mm. was by Carl Kershaw. Um, mm-hmm. He is also part of the Lethal, Comic, uh, Lethal Comics with Andy Belanger. Yeah. Um, and the one that came out recently that I... Oh, let me not forget animals. Number one, of course. Yeah. And then, uh, I, I would pimp it, but you can't back it anymore. It's over. We're yeah. Done. It's done. Um, funded. I got billions. <laughs> billions. Wouldn't that be billions. wild by the way? Wouldn't that be fucking wild? If like, I don't know, man, if you were like, if you were, a, okay, let's say you're a billionaire, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you just like, wouldn't it be fun to just like drop a million on a Kickstarter at the buzzer? <laughs> Just give Dude. a motherfucker like a million dollars. Like, okay, fucking... so I know this. I know this because we know someone, my family knows someone that won the lottery. Mm. And they make, like, I, I think they won a couple of mil. Not not like mm-hmm. a crazy amount. A million, Obviously, to us lowly people, a million's pretty damn good. They yeah, won a couple of mil. And the amount that, like, they did some investing with some of their money, not all of it. And they make 30, like with their investments, they make around $30,000 a month in interest. Mm. In interest, $30,000. Yeah. That's fucking yeah. wild. That's that's more than the standard comic book artist makes a year drawing comic books. Yes. Isn't that yeah. a fun fact that Andy gave us a, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. Well, so go win the lottery. Yes. And then be a benefactor to comics out there. Invest in the right things, make your interest, cost you nothing, and then you donate that to Kickstarters. Wouldn't that be crazy? Just out of nowhere, yeah. someone goes, hey, here's $30,000. Or here's, yeah. hey, a million. you get 10. I, I like the million. You yeah. get Just 10. Like, to, like you, fuck with a guy. Become, yeah. become Oprah. Or a woman. You get 10. Yeah. You get 10. You get $10,000. And everyone's like, what the fuck is going on, right? What the hell is going Dude, I just had a mystery backer back my Kickstarter for a million dollars. Dude be wild um and the last one that i wanted to shout out was the art of art adams so that is oh. currently up yeah that that's up now and um he's got 28 days to go as of this 
So if you're into Art Adams and all the beautiful work he does, he has a hard case. Oh, well, you can get the soft cover, and then he has a, a, a hard cover for 60 And before they released that one, it was soft cover for 40 I believe, hard cover for 80 signed, limited to 1500 I got in on that one because that was the option I wanted. I was like, eh, soft cover. He's going to reprint that thing a thousand times. Let me get the hardcover. It's limited edition. And then as soon as that happened and sold out, um, they released a $60 hardcover. So it's not signed. The cover is slightly different, and um, it's less exclusive. Um, so if you want to hop on that, you can get that. And, um, it's, hey, it's Art Adams. I love Art Adams. One of my first comic book love. Um, he was the yeah. first artist that I recognized by sight. And I'm like, yeah. it's that guy again. Who draws this? I like this guy's work. So um, check mm-hmm. that out if you can. It's still on Kickstarter till, uh, uh, for for some time now. So by the time this comes out, I think like at least uh, like 14 days, 15 days left, something like that on it. Okay. Hell yeah, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So I got a little bit of spending bullshit. Let's see if you can see this. Yeah, I'm actually moving. I'm moving the camera a little bit. Uh, there you go. You see that behind me, Scott? Am I looking at the poster? Yeah, you're is it the Wu Tang Clan one? You're looking at the matched Metallica posters. Here, hold on. Is it the Wu Tang Clan one? Oh, oh, it's, it's the Metallica specifically. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. See that? Oh, the, that's cool. That's yeah, yeah. That that is the so they they did finally show up my matched pair of Metallica posters that I got like silly cheap. So that was like goofy thing number one. I've already talked about that, right? But I want to talk. I, I about, think you told me off the air. I don't know that you mentioned that on the air. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah, that was so, a sweet so, deal. I have I have a Metallica poster problem. Um, I own a few, and um, and you know, so for those who don't know, Metallica when they do concerts, they do VIP posters for every concert, and they hire artists or they you know contact people to use like dope legacy art or whatever, and so every time Metallica plays a new show in a new town, they have this sick fucking poster. Um, it can be anything, right? Like uh, around my room, I have, I have a, a Metallica poster over here that's a repurposed picture from um, his Frankenstein book, where he drew the Mary Shelley Frankenstein. I have a book that's like kind of Cthulhu over Mexico City. I have a book that's like this crazy neon Viking skull with like goggles on its head, and of course, I have this. Um, if you want, you can look it up. It's the Metallica Antwerp Belgium set. And it's this cool set. It's like done in com. It's it's anime-ish, but it looks like a comic book. And they even have like a mock-up Metallica logo on it. And uh, it's a two two poster set. And uh, and so I I've had this one poster hanging over my my desk for a long time. And I was like, why did I not buy that second poster? So I ended up, in fact, looking for the second poster. And to make a long story short, I basically got a deal on eBay where I got the set. For $30 less than I could have just gotten the second poster. Like, I could have either gotten the second poster online at a store, or I ended up winning the auction on eBay where I got both posters. So I now have two left posters, and I'll just resell, you know, I'll sell back the the one on the left, and I'll be fine. So anyway, so I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, it was cool to see those things come in, and again, a lot of those Metallica posters are, are really, really cool. Yeah, it's funny because... Uh, when I, when you're like pointing at your wall, I'm like, okay, like you have a theme. Like if, if you guys have ever seen 
the um, the screen caps or the the photos I take of us. You know, like, hey, the new episode of Making Comics is up on my social media. It, Keith is always in the same position, so you can always see the posters in the background. It's mm-hmm. always red, black, and white. That's usually the theme. And yeah. so when you're pointing at the wall, I was like, okay, those ones are normal. Oh, he must be pointing at the Wu-Tang one because it had a bit yeah. of orange in it. And uh, no, that yeah. wasn't it. But uh, when you got closer, I was like, okay, yeah, these are different. But just like at a first yeah. glance, I was like, oh, okay, those those are the ones that are always there. But no, but you're right. Your yeah, because for a long time I had the Kadoja posters there, which are all yeah. red, white, and black theme. So I sort of got—I don't want to say I got suckered into something, but um, I'm I'm going to show you something, Scott. Okay, that is a dope fucking album cover, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So this is a special album cover edition of a Mad Lib. So Mad Lib is like a hip hop producer, um, and he also rhymes. But it's it's a special artist like edition cover of the Mad Lib Sound Ancestors album. When I first saw this cover, I was like, I gotta have that fucking cover, man. So I look up where it is. The the cheapest place it was was the website Brooklyn Vegan, which I guess is like a fucking record store. And um and so it was like your typical price for like a fancy pants record, like a little over 30 bucks. I looked it up in other places. I'm like, is it cheaper? Nope, it was way more expensive. So everybody had it for like 60 bucks and up. So I was like, not sure, not sure. And I even tried to put an order together on Brooklyn Vegan because I was like, well, maybe I can save on shipping, but I didn't quite see anything I loved, you know? And then I get an email, I don't know, a week and a half ago where they're like, hey, buy two, get one free from this select group of records. So sure enough... I made an order happen. So the first record was this, which was Brooklyn Vegan. The second record, so this was the record I'm in second in the order to Scott, but it's actually the John Carpenter, um, I think it's called The Lost Themes, because, mm-hmm. you know, John Carpenter did the music to his own movies because he didn't want to hire people and pay for, like, them to get done. So this was the one that was like, mm, not sure about it, but I'm going to go go ahead and grab it. And then this was one where I love this record, and well, I love this album, so I went ahead and bought it on record, and it's um, it's Run the Jewels Four. So they they not only had Run the Jewels Four, but they had it on this like crazy splatter oh. pink and blue thing going. Yeah, it looks on. like an iris. So, looks like an eyeball. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, that is a sick record. Um, I may have mentioned this in our, I think I did in our year in review for last year, but you know, Run the Jewels had the. Shit, it was the number one song of mine, I think, maybe two years ago. It was a song called Just, J-U, dollar sign T. And uh, anyway, fantastic song, and, uh, and and the record's great. And now I own the record on vinyl, which I never had. So oh, yeah. buy two, get one free. Like, how can you beat that shit? You, you cannot. Know, like, uh, that is great. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so that was my that was my biggest find. I've, I've cooled off on comics a little bit. But um, but anyway, so hey, we've we've lasted as long as we possibly could before it was time to talk basketball. So go ahead, man. You said you got some Lakers shit. Go for it. Well, I just want to say uh, your your team is ahead in the series uh, compared to mine. So you guys have already played two games. You guys are 1-1. Lakers yeah. are now 1-0. We just played last night. And yep. uh, it, was, it was a fantastic game. It had that, like, finals atmosphere to it like in my opinion mm-hmm. like that's like that's just how i felt about it when i was watching it and like i don't know if that stems from curry versus lebron again like this is like uh, curry versus lebron five so you kind of yeah 
you're getting that matchup in the second round of the Western Conference, and and yeah. it's just oh so great. And uh, the game did not start off well. I think it was like two ten. The Lakers were missing everything, and um, you know it's styles make fights, and I think we have a good chance at winning this, uh, especially if AD stays as a as dominant as he was this game. And when I say Styles makes fight make fights, there's it can go either way because they have no one down low to basically defend AD. He's just too yeah. dominant. They they don't have like they have Kavon Looney. He's a great rebounder, but beyond that, that's about it. And yeah. um, so I think right there we have the advantage where they have the advantages. They have three snipers. You know the the game was Curry. Um, Clay and Jordan Poole all had six threes apiece. And normally that's enough to defeat a team, but luckily we were just murdering them like in the two pointer two pointers. Like we were not missing. I think we were like over fifty percent from uh from the two point range. And then not only that, we're getting to the line crazy. But really this all it all revolves around A D being dominant the whole series. And I'm not sure that he can do that, but after that first game, I really hope he can because, man, our defense was smothering. Like it was, it was yeah. fantastic how well everyone was performing. Like just uh, uh, Vanderbilt was really defending Steph Curry very well, like as far, as as much as he could. You know, he kept him under thirty. So that's kind mm-hmm. of what you want. Um, you don't it's want him. Do. It's all you can do. You know, it's just like he's still got like 20, I think 22 points or something like that. So he's mm-hmm. still going to get his two degree and uh, we could just make it difficult for him. Like that's all we can do and, and just being dominant inside. So I was really happy with the first game and how they performed. It wasn't one of those games where you go, man, we were kind of lucky to sneak by that. Like there was some boneheaded decisions made in the second half, but it was kind of like, ah, that was a dumb thing. That was a dumb thing, but it wasn't an overabundance that made me concerned. You know what I mean? Like it was just, Mm -hmm. I felt like both teams had a strong game. We just happened to outlast them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we'll see, right? It's boy, this is one of those rare cases where I wish I could, wish I could sort of fast forward to when this airs. Cause I, I just want to know. Like, I want to know. I want to know, am I supposed to take the fucking Sixers seriously, or is Boston just going to win this in five? Right. Because, like... Did Joel play? Yeah, he did. He he looks... mm, He was dominant on defense in the first half. Okay. He looks a little off on offense. Boston just... So, in, in the first six minutes of the third quarter, Boston made, like a lot and Philly bricked like fucking everything. Right. So it was one of those where an eight point lead turned into 21 and then the game was just over. Mm -hmm. Right. Like there was even a point where it was like still 19 or whatever. And then you came back from the timeout and it turned out that Embiid had released a jumper at the shot clock instead of like a little before. So it, it just like all of a sudden we were down 22 or or 21 instead of 19. It's like we wouldn't have won anyway. But that was like the final thing where I'm like, well, fuck this. Right. So if we'd have recorded this last night, I'd have felt amazing. And I probably should still feel really good because Philly got a split at Boston. We got home court back. But I just don't think home court matters in any series. You know, like... It'll be interesting to watch the Lakers Golden State series to see if home court matters there. 
I'm not sure it does because the teams are so even, but you know, they're also like you just said, a conflict of styles. Yeah. You know, and, AD, and the Lakers, AD they just probably played, played the... the best game by any one of the playoffs so far. Yeah. I mean, 30, 23 and five blocks or whatever the fuck it was. And it wasn't even that it was five blocks. And it's like, like nobody fuck. came in the lane at the end. Just yeah. nobody came in the Everyone's lane. Everyone's afraid right? to. So, yeah. And like Curry yeah. even went down there and AD blocked it out of the, out of the fucking arena. And um, yeah. not only that, it was at I keep always want to say Oracle. Uh, I don't what are they chase the Chase Arena now. I think that's what they are. Yeah, the artist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the artist formerly known as Oracle. Um, yeah, yeah, we stole one in Oracle. So it, yep. uh, to your point about home court, so it's like you know the Bay is is one of the harder places to play, and if we were able to mm-hmm. steal Game One, that 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 bodes well. But, you know, I don't want to get too excited. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, Staples with a juiced crowd is a hard place to play, too. Exactly, Um, yeah. And, you know, the adage goes role players play better at home. So if that's the case, then, then, you know, Malcolm Brogdon won't shoot 100% from three when he plays at Philly on Friday. So uh, so we'll see. You know what's funny about Malcolm Brogdon specifically? Rookie of the year. We were just talking about him in the Lakers chat, and I was just like, you know, it still pisses me off that the Celtics got him for a bag of potato chips. You know, Larry Bird hooking up the Celtics yet again. And and then I went, well, I guess I can't complain too much because at the trade deadline, I couldn't tell you who we gave up to get all of these pieces. Yeah. You know what I mean? We got Rui Hachimura for two second rounders. I think I got Vanderbilt for like nothing. And uh, somehow we got D'Lo... Uh, and Beasley, who who isn't doing much of anything, but we got those two for Wes- Russell Westbrook. So it's just like, yeah. yeah, we'll take your Russ for that Russ for sure. Like you, you, you know, can, you know, yeah, yeah. I I did sort of bury the lead because in lost in Philly getting uh, destroyed by Boston tonight is the fact that Embiid got the MVP. Yeah, and man. And in fact, I was so stoked that I bought an Embiid jersey. And oh, it's going to yeah. show up in like a week. So, yeah, I mean, this this is one of those goofy things. I'm sure you can appreciate this, Scott. What I realized about the jerseys I have is the jerseys that kind of form a point. The V? You know, like, yeah, the, the jerseys that form a V, I like wearing those. I feel like I look decent in those. There's the some that have like the T-shirt collar. Rounded. Though. It's like rounded a circular collar. collar. It's rounded. I don't like the way I look in those. So unfortunately, a lot of my Sixers jerseys are rounded collars. So I was like, well, Embiid won the MVP. For the rest of time, he will always be the 22-23 NBA MVP, even if we lose to the Celtics in the second round. He's the dude, you know, like last last Sixers MVP was Iverson. Like that's elite company. So um, yeah, man, I got myself an Embiid jersey. Win, win, lose, or draw, he's Embiid and he's my dude. You know? Oh yeah, so, man. Um, so yeah. Anyway, so uh, so yeah, I was happy. I'm gonna about grab that. again. A, if if we recorded really this shit Hutchin last Moore. night, we could have been oh, we could have been so great because you would have won the game, and I'd have been like, "Yeah, the Sixers are the greatest team ever." <laughs> uh, I'm going to grab a Rui Hachimura jersey. I believe. I think that's the next yeah, one. Deep I, cut. It, it's either cut. it's more than likely Rui, and I still need to get an AD one. Like it's just yeah. it only feels right, and I think. If, if he really could keep up this type of performance, like I would love it if he, if he stayed for the rest of his career. It's just yeah. he's so hit or miss that it's like I'm that's why I'm worried about game two. Um, oh, another little fun fact about game two, which is on Thursday. I didn't realize um, I actually triple book myself. So the reason why we're recording on a Wednesday 
um, you know, behind the curtain, it was, I was like, I told Keith, I was like, hey, man, um, Lakers are playing on Thursday. I'm, I had, don't have the ability to record. Can we record on Wednesday? And uh, he said, yeah, cool. And then I checked the no, calendar. Like, sure, no problem. I'll be in. I'll be fine. I'll have plenty of time. The Sixers will lose by 30. Yeah, yeah. You had the early game. So, <laughs> and yeah. they would lose by 30. I was 30. like, hey, don't worry. By the time we record, the Sixers will have already lost big. And I'll be in a fantastic mood. It'll be great content for the podcast crowd. Great content. Exactly. Um, well, not only did I double book myself, but I triple book myself because we're actually going to watch Guardians of the Galaxy tomorrow. Oh. Yeah. So okay. I don't get to watch the second game. Um, I guess if there's a game that I could miss, it would probably be the second one because this will be back in um, uh, the artist formerly, formerly known as Oracle. So. Mm-hmm. The the Warriors will more than likely take Game Two because they're in their their home court. Um, so I guess I'm okay with it, and I'll just check yeah. the updates and hope I got to check to see if it's an early game. So maybe I'll actually be able to catch a little bit of it. Um, but I'm excited to watch that movie. You're gonna go watch it with my best friend and uh, my girlfriend for her birthday. So rock on, rock on. All right, cool man. I think uh, I think we did it. So you can find it. me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. Hey, the animals Kickstarter's over, so I'm actually back to posting normal shit now. So I'm posting photos of me, photos of all the books that I do, um, some books I'm reading, and of course, quotes, thing, interesting things we might be saying on the Making Comics podcast. So that's me, Keith underscore Invader on Instagram. Of course, I have the website, KeithRFoster.com. All of my books are there, and there is a box where you can sign up for my mailing list. On that mailing list, you're going to get exclusive content, including um, some some dope panels from an animal's backup story as well as movie reviews from me so yeah keithrfoster.com it's all there and you could find my books second shift minimum wage workers by day superheroes by night wanders milisanda anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans and a bunch of accidental alien anthologies you can find those all at accidentalaliens.com uh me and keith just did amazing las vegas comic con and man those those anthologies were hot those things were moving, so it's just Crazy. the time for the anthology, I guess. Um, so pick them up if you want. We have the blue, which is our sci-fi. We have the red, which is the horror or creature feature. And then we have Tales from the Mothership, which is uh, post-apocalyptic. So check it out at accidentalaliens.com, as well as my other books that I talk about on every episode. That's Mothership Connection by parliament funkadelic i like it yeah yeah you should you can make that if you hear any noise anyway okay uh hey and and the funny thing is that you would think that that lyric is it's just me and the boys but you're wrong it'd be if you hear any noise give the making comics podcast five stars because you should give us five stars baby five stars because you should (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we feel like singing tonight, baby. To quote Bootsy <laughs> Collins. So do it. Do it. Get out there. Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts. Uh, give us, throw us five stars. Throw us some nice words. We really appreciate it. And if you have any questions, comments, concern, if you don't like our singing, you can hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. We're going to ignore you, but uh, we appreciate the email. <laughs> makingcomicspodcast yeah, exactly. at gmail.com. Stick to making comics, assholes. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we don't care about your politics or your singing. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you're singing fuck fuck parliament okay anyway uh, yeah man <laughs> alright man we're uh, we're out of here brother i see you next week yeah yeah